Thank you, Tom. My privilege to be, wow, my privilege to be here with you today. Highly recommended. That's a, a, a powerful thing to uh, try and live up to. And, but I know by God's grace we're able to move forward and to hear the reading of the word and the preaching of the word. I want to thank uh, Bill Barton for the invitation to come along with your session. It means a lot for me to be here. This is my first time. I've been well welcomed by Tom and several others. I also want to bring you greetings. I want to bring you greetings from your denomination headquarters. I'm one of those coats and ties in Atlanta representing home missions. That's mission to North America, primarily uh, church planting across the United States and Canada. Uh, we're averaging over the last eight years 55 new church plants per year. You can figure that out. That's more than one a week. And by God's grace, we're just moving things forward uh, because the Lord has been pleased to bless us in that endeavor. Also responsible for our 250 active duty and reserve military chaplain around the world, disaster response, um, as well as English as a second language, and it, it goes on and on. Obviously, I don't do it all. I have a wonderful senior staff uh, in Atlanta and scattered throughout the United States that really do the work of ministry. Uh, I'm the front man. Uh, I'm the one who helps raise resources as well as cast vision, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity just to say thank you to you for your prayers, for your support, and for your financial uh, giving to Mission North America and the home missionaries that you do support. I bring greetings also from the other committees and institutions of our PCA. I also bring you greetings from my own presbytery. This is Central Georgia Presbytery, in which your elders serve. I come from Houston Metro Presbytery. Even though I live in Atlanta, I'm, I'm what's called serving out of bounds. But my, uh, my, my home, Presbytery, is in the greater Houston area where we served for 11 years in Planting Bay Area Presbyterian Church, and that's where my, uh, my path crossed with Bill Barton. I'm very thankful that he's here. I know he gives you great leadership. Uh, he's a wonderful inspiration, and uh, I know you'll treat him well, and you have already. So would you turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8? I'm beginning to read at verse uh, 28 through 39, through the end of the chapter. I have to confess that this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to be able to open this up. Our key verse uh, is 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely or graciously give us all things? So hear the word of God. Romans 8, 28 and following. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the hearing of the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonder of this passage of scripture. We thank you for directing the Apostle Paul by the power of your spirit to pen these words to us, words of great encouragement, words of strengthening, words of great affirmation of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We bless you for who you are and the benefits of being in him. We thank you for the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We thank you for the situations that you have ordained that we may grow spiritually. And may you use the preaching of the word as an encouragement today to each one of these precious listeners. Bless me as I preach that Christ may be exalted, that we may go forth from here affirmed that we have a mighty God who is for us, not against us. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. We worship the God of the impossible. Now, I want that word impossible to really sink into your psyche this morning. We worship the God of the impossible. And sprinkled throughout all of Scripture are reminders of that truth. Going to highlight four or five of those. First of all, you can remember from Sunday school the lessons of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham called out as uh, one of the great uh, leaders of the Hebrews in the early days, one of the patriarchs. He was promised that out of his seed would come those who would follow, uh, who would be uh, the salt of the earth, who would be those who would lead a mighty gathering of believers. You remember that Abraham and Sarah continued on in age, and there was no son of his posterity. He thought he'd take matters into his own hands, and it it could be the one who was serving him, who would be that one who would carry on and be a part of that lineage. That was not so. They continued on in age, and there was no son. And so uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, Sarah in particular, gave her handservant to Abraham, perhaps through Hagar, that would be the promised one. Ishmael was born, but God said, no, I still have that promise ahead of you. When they were very old in age, Abraham about 100 years old and Sarah very old in age, 89, 90 years of age, they were visited by three angels. And in the midst of 
them being there and being served at a meal, they announced that in a year, Sarah would have a son, the son of promise. You remember Sarah laughed. Uh, the angel said, uh, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, yes, you did. The promise is that you will have a son within the year. And Isaac was born. The angel said to them that nothing is impossible or too hard for the Lord. Remember Jeremiah's prayer when the remnant uh, was to be promised to come back to Jerusalem. Babylonian captivity, 70 years. Uh, Jeremiah was told to buy a piece of property from his cousin because he would be able to claim it in due time. And Jeremiah's prayer was, O Lord, would that be possible? And God wrote through him to the children of Israel, you will come back to the promised land. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Then we remember the Christmas story. You remember the angel who came to Mary, virgin, said that you will be with child, will be of the Holy Spirit who comes upon you. She said, how can that be? I've not known a man. God said, I'm going to do something for you. Matter of fact, your cousin Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. We know that's John the Baptist. And the word of God says very clearly from the angel who came to her that nothing is impossible with God. And then a last example of God of the impossible is Jesus to his disciples. They heard him speak to the rich young ruler uh, who was challenged to give everything uh, unto the Lord as part of what it means to become a Christian for him. And yet he said, that's too difficult for me. The disciples gather around him and they said, who can be saved then? And our Lord said, it is easier for a camel to go into the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The disciples said to Jesus, how can that be? And Jesus said to them, with man this is impossible, but not with God. Our God, whom we serve, whom we know, whom we love, is the God of great surprises. He's the God of the impossible. I'm sure within each of our lives there have been our our prayers for what seems to be impossible. Think about circumstances in your life that need to change. Impossible? Think about a loved one who needs to become a believer. Impossible? Think about a child who needs to be healed. Is that impossible? What about a marriage to be reconciled? And so the passage before us is one of the most encouraging that we find in Scripture, for it reminds us that God is for us and not against us, that he ordains the circumstances of our lives, that he's the one who purposes to bring us into the storm in order that he may show himself to be faithful that we would be conformed more and more to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The God who is for us is our sovereign God, the creator of the universe, the one who truly cares for us. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, very simply, we're going to look first of all at the question, secondly at the proof, and then third at the objective of why God has allowed 
X, Y, and Z into our lives that we may depend upon him for what is near unto impossible. If God is for us, who can be against us? The question is, very specifically, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, there's no immediate answer there given, and we're left to think, who or what can be against us? And, and we can start to pile up within our minds, what is against us? In 1 John, you know, John, writing in that epistle, talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil being against us in many various circumstances of the world, the world system, culture, thinking of those things that are overwhelming to us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians becoming more and more persecuted in this environment. Think about our own flesh and the challenges we have with abiding sin and those hurdles that we need to get over because our, our flesh is weak. The world, the flesh, are the devil. There is a devil, you know, who is against us and not for us and would set the traps of circumstances that we would succumb to temptation. If God is for us, who can be against us? World, flesh, and the devil. Now, I travel a lot, and I have to tell you that I've added to the world, the flesh, and the devil, Delta Airlines. (laughs) Invariably, I have issues with Delta Airlines, whether it's baggage that's lost or a connection that I didn't make or a meeting I couldn't make because they blame it on circumstances or mechanical you know, problems or you name it. Uh, perhaps you've experienced that as well. So the question is, who can be against us or what can be against us? And we can start to pile it up and say, plenty is against us. But we see very specifically that God sets the circumstances of life. He is the one who is sovereign. He's the one who is in control of history. He's the one who is in control of our story in his story, history. It reminds me of a Sunday school lesson. Uh, You heard Tom rehearse where uh, my wife and I come from, a church that has since become a PCA church in the Washington, D.C. suburbs, adjacent to the University of Maryland. We both grew up in Sunday school with flannel graph lessons. Do you remember that? The Sunday school teacher would put those, those characters on the stencil, on that uh, piece of uh, fabric. Well, I remember very clearly, and it fits well into the situations that we find ourselves in, of our Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. He's always teaching his disciples to trust him no matter what. And that's one of the biggest lessons we have as believers. May we trust the Lord. The situation in Mark, very specifically chapter 6, verses 45 through 52, I won't read that, but I'll just rehearse the circumstance. Our Lord sends his disciples into the storm. They don't know that they're being sent into the storm to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus does not go with them. They are commanded to go on to the other side. Jesus goes up into the mountain to pray. And lo and behold, in the midst of the night, they encounter a terrible storm. Jesus knows that they're going to be going into the storm, knew exactly what he purposed for them to do. And yet they're frightened. These are the fishermen. And yet it's such a devastating storm. 
that they cry out, have mercy on us, O Lord. At exactly the right time, Jesus appears, walking to them on the water. They're frightened. They think it's a ghost. And immediately, Jesus is with them in the boat. The simple lesson is that, yes, the sovereign God allows us or sends us into certain circumstances, situations he's aware of for his own glory, for our good, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ, that we would trust him more, that we would believe that he truly is the God of the impossible, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think because of who he is and not because of who we are. Our Lord said, I'll give you proof that I love you, I'm for you, I'm not against you, I have ordained your circumstances. The proof is found in verses 32 through 34. Right after he asked the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so the proof is that God has given us the greatest gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he argues in this passage of Scripture, Paul argues from the greater to the lesser. The greater is the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest gift. The affirmation that God is for us. To the lesser is what we are involved in in our particular circumstances. And so look at what he has given us in Christ. If we are in Christ, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, then we have all the blessings and the benefits of being related to him and being in Christ. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his exaltation, in his intercession. Uh, If the Father has given us the greatest gift, will he not also graciously give us all things, meaning what is necessary for our lives here and in the life to come? A year ago, I had the privilege of preaching through uh, the book of Ephesians and using it as lessons in a small group. Linda and I are involved at Ivy Creek Presbyterian Church there in Lawrenceville. And we have been involved for the last 11 years in a life group of more mature believers. That's a euphemism for we're one of the older ones in the congregation. I need a pastoral outlet. And I teach when I'm not traveling. So I teach it every, the first Wednesday and the third Wednesday of each month. And a year ago, I taught through the book of of Ephesians and how it started out in Ephesians 1 about those who are in Christ. It's an extended paragraph, verses 1 through 11, where we can underscore the the simple phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And all the riches of God is poured out to us because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that he's for us and not against us. I want to read just uh, that a brief section so that you are tuned in to what I'm saying about the Ephesians passage. This is beginning at verse 3. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. A powerful passage of scripture. Uh, penned by the Apostle Paul, of the riches you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, quite honestly, we're paupers when it comes to tying into those riches and really trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for the blessings of those riches. Uh, we are to glorify God in all things, and we are to be growing more and more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the question, who can be against us if God is for us? We've looked at the proof that God is for us, and he has set the example of how great an affirmation he is for us in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ to know and to love, and to be loved by him, and to serve him. And then, what is the objective of giving us the Lord Jesus Christ? It's to glorify God in all that we do. Secondly, that we be conformed to the likeness and image of the Lord Jesus Christ, chosen in Christ that we should be holy and blameless. And that's an objective. It's much more than just for individual Christians. It's also for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in speaking specifically to us as Christians, in my experience and in the experience of many that I've known over the 43 years that I've been a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, when do we best grow? Is it in the good times or is it in the challenging times? Is it in the challenging times when we're sort of in the vice of, um, of the situation or the circumstance and that we're, we're called to cry out, have mercy upon us, O God? I have to confess, it's in those difficult times. I don't like the difficult times. I don't like the challenges that God sets before me. And I would love to to argue with him that I could do really well in the good times. Just give me some ease. And he says, no, I'll tell you how to be conformed to the likeness of my son. It's, It's when you're challenged when it comes to your circumstances, when you're challenged spiritually, when you do think that it's all against you. That's when I show up. That's when I can be called on specifically to grow you into the likeness of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not spare any situation or circumstance in his portfolio in that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ. It's a challenge to the Christian to say, Lord, bring on the circumstances, bring on the challenges, bring on the hard times, because I want to be more like Jesus. Now, I've got to confess that, uh, that I wince when, uh, when the Lord leads me by his spirit to pray that type of prayer. And yet I can look back over a lifetime now 
and to know in each of those circumstances or situations that God has been gracious to enable me uh, to withstand the temptation, to work through the circumstance, to move forward by God's grace. And so it is in the challenging times, as I rehearsed in the early part, what would it be? You know, would it be a challenging circumstance right now that you're going through? Or would it be a loved one to become a believer? Or a child to be healed, a marriage to be reconciled? You can fill in the blanks. Uh, God's objective for us as individuals is that we be conformed to the likeness of Christ. It's also interesting that he does his work within congregations, bringing them through challenging circumstances for the leadership to, to rise up and to bless the Lord for those challenges. I had the privilege of serving a congregation in Miami that was going through a more difficult circumstance than the search committee told me. A senior pastor had uh, left the congregation uh, because of moral failure. A pastor who came in behind him before me could not withstand the pressure and left within a, in a couple of years. And I, as a very young pastor, uh, inherited that situation. They confessed that they withheld some things from me, and they, they seemed to have a black cloud over themselves and the challenges and circumstances. As I heard about this before my first sermon, what would my first sermon be to them? It's this passage of Scripture. That's why it's so precious to me. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so I'm saying to you as... Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Not that you're going through difficult circumstances, but you do have a challenge ahead. Uh, You're you're soon to have, or in the timing of God's grace, a search committee to find the next senior pastor. And by God's grace, he will be the man of God's choosing that God will lead you to, who will take you to the next level in the challenging circumstances that you find yourselves in here. What situation or circumstance is looming large in, in front of you? My wife and I are struggling right now with an unbelieving son. Uh, we have two precious daughters who are confessed believers. Uh, they have our grandchildren, but we have a rebellious 32-year-old son. Uh, not active in rebellion against us, but knows he's not walking with the Lord and would not confess that he's a believer. Went to the University of, well, went to Florida State University on a track scholarship. Went to the University of Texas and graduated in 2004 with a master's degree in advertising and graphic design. And, and as, uh, as parents, we expected him to get a job. It's pretty, pretty normal, isn't it? When, you're, when you put up the money, honey, we want to see some evidence. Well, he organized a rock and roll band. He organized the Black Angels, and they've been a, a tremendous success. Linda and I have stopped praying uh, that he'd, he'd hate it, and we've, we've begun to love him and his long hair and tattoo and you name it. They'll be on the Conan O'Brien show tomorrow night, 11 o'clock. They're, they're the Black Angels, and Christian Bland, our son, is the lead guitarist. Our hearts are broken. We pray continually for God to work within his heart. We claim the covenant promises that God has given us on behalf of this precious son. We love our son. 
who is in rebellion against God and knows it and articulates that. He's asked us to stop praying for him because he knows when people pray for him that eventually the hound of heaven is going to catch him. And we're confident of that. We're confident that he will, and we pray in our lifetime, become a confessed believer to use the talents that God has given him to God's glory. But I want you to know that it's heartbreaking right now. We have folks praying for Christian Bland all around the world. When I have opportunities such as this, I ask that if you remember our son, would you pray for him? Would you pray that God fulfills his covenant promise that we have made on his behalf, that he will be drawn to our Savior? He's really a neat kid. He just doesn't have Jesus. That's one of the challenging circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I dare say that there are families in this congregation who are dealing with wayward daughters, wayward sons. It's endemic in the Christian world. How could we have done anything differently? We don't look back and say, should we have done something differently? And the answer is, by God's grace, no. Raised in a Christian family, a pastor's son, who's, who's not walking with the Lord. But if God is God and his promises are good and yea and amen, then our hope and our trust is that God, by his grace, in his timing, will draw Christian Bland to himself. And we're very thankful for that assurance. But every time my wife and I pray, whether it's a prayer at breakfast, if I'm with her for lunch or dinner or before we go to bed, uh, we invariably remember all of our kids, and, and our list is pretty long, and there are times that I pray short prayers before dinner because the dinner's getting cold. But we pray for Christian. We pray for God to set the circumstances that his heart will be broken because of his sin and that he will see his need for the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows. He's been raised within the context of knowing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, we know that God is for us. And by God's grace, he'll draw a Christian to himself. What's the good news of the gospel? The good news is what I've just preached to you now. That God, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves sinners, such as we, draws us lovingly to himself. But he doesn't just leave us there. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus. He wants you to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says very specifically in his word that he will frame whatever it takes for you to become more like Jesus. If you're not being pinched by circumstances or situations, then maybe you need to think through what has been your profession of faith. Because God will not leave you alone if you are a believer. He will set the circumstances that you need to turn to him and to cry out, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for the great affirmation found in Romans chapter 8. As Paul has built his case for justification by faith alone, and then culminates it by saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he reveals that Jesus is for us, not against us. Uh, may we be conformed to his image. May we lay before you those challenging circumstances, believing that you will, in time, space, history, ordain those things that are good for us 
that we can trust you, a loving Heavenly Father, that we can see light at the end of the tunnel, that we can trust you for the impossible. Oh, God of the impossible, show up in our lives even today. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now will you stand for the benediction?